and welcome back to another episode of Lost It Down. It is a David and Wally special yet again. Steven will be back on Mondays up in Cleveland with a dinner with family, so we will be covering for him today. David, welcome back. You weren't here on Thursday, which is how we're going to start the show. You were in Florida. Where were you in Florida? What did you do? How amazing was it? Because I well, I said it on the pod. I know you heard it. I hated you for four days there. Dude, Florida was great. It was 80 degrees and sunny the whole time I was there, you know, just to rub that in. But uh, I was down in Sarasota. My girlfriend's son had a soccer showcase, so he played three games between Saturday and Sunday. So I watched those, and then basically – all we did was eat and relax. Uh, we had an Airbnb with this like sweet pool setup that had this water feature that um, it looked like a giant rock, but and it had a water fountain coming out the front, but you could go underneath it and sit and like view out into the pool from the water fountain and then it had a slide on top into the pool. It was pretty cool. It was a pretty great weekend. I'm not going to lie. So I'm even bigger news this weekend. I'm going to see Hamilton tomorrow, and I'm fucking Get hyped the about hell it. out of here. That is awesome. Yeah, they're back in Cleveland, so I'm going to go see that with uh, Heather tomorrow, and I'm hyped. Absolutely hyped. It's an unreal play. I, I still can't help myself, but once or twice a year, getting a couple brews in me and throwing it on Disney Plus and watching it there, because it just, I don't know. It's, it's a great play. I love that. But soccer, first of all, let's go back to that. So... Is Heather's son the next Sinaldo for everybody out there? The the greatest soccer player in the world is not Ronaldo. It's Sinaldo, David. A good old human. He's, I mean, he's as fast as him. The kid's a speed demon. That's for sure. But he's definitely, uh, he's got some training before he hits Sinaldo levels. Okay, you just brought up speed demon. I don't know why that just immediately popped up in my mind. Freshman year at Walsh, when we were on the same football team, I guess it's not politically correct now, but they call them Indian runs. Those things were, that was when I knew I wasn't supposed to be a higher level athlete. Because that is what, you had 70 people and you have to just basically run to the front. And by the end, I'm sure people like you were like me. When you got to the front, you're dictating the pace of everybody's run. So oh, yeah. it turned into a heavy crawl when oh, I was yeah. back there. I, I just oh, yeah. lineman up front was the best part of the run. But you had to like stagger them because the last thing you wanted to do is get that wide receiver out there, 30 people in. And you're like, dude, you gotta chill out. Like, I'm not gonna yeah. catch you, let or alone like the, keep the or like the Cam Ancos who you know took it way too seriously and and thought that this was like you know their way of getting into the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of gives you that Rudy vibe when you have the Camoncos, the the music's in the background, you have the slow motion, except it's not like that whatsoever, and it's right. just hell for everybody there. But otherwise, no, uh, I, I'm happy that you had a great time. That's exciting. It sounds like you're going to have just as good of a weekend this next one, and then hopefully we finally get the band back to get together next Monday. But let's just get going right into it. Speaking of Mondays, we actually had a really interesting game on Monday night. It was terrible. Hard watch for about 55 game minutes of it. And all of a sudden, Tom Brady reminded the world why he's known as the GOAT now. They were down 16-3 to with a little over five minutes left. 
and he takes him the length of the field two times and scores a touchdown with less than 10 seconds left to put them ahead and win the game. It kind of feels like it effectively won the division for the Bucs. I don't know where you want to start on this game. Both coaches tried their best to out-dumb, out-defensive mind the other one. Where do you want to start with this game? I don't know. I'm like, I'm still not sold on the Bucks, man. I like, I, I this was like one of my losses. I thought the Saints were going to win this, to be honest. But I don't know. I just, I hate both these teams, kind of. They're both just kind of like bland, whatever. I, I'm, I, I don't, I don't know how to feel about either coach because I feel like both of them should be fired at the end of the season, but it's not going to happen. I just, I'm just, this is like vanilla for me. This game was just vanilla for me. I don't know if we've ever seen it before. And we'll get into talking about other players or other coaches or GMs that have been fired in recent weeks in similar situations. I can't remember the last time a division winning head coach was fired, but I truly think that Todd Bowles, I don't think it's as foregone a conclusion as you do that he's not gone. If they win the division at let's call it eight and nine and they lose ugly in the first round, there's a real belief out there that Tom Brady is going to not only continue playing next year, but might continue playing somewhere else. And if that's the case, why do you run it back with Todd Bowles? I feel like the only reason you keep him there is, is if Brady comes back, he believes that this core is good enough. This coaching staff is good enough. And I just don't think it's the case. I don't know, because like the only way, let's put it this way, Tom Brady, the keys are in Tom Brady's hands. If Tom Brady says, hey, I'm walking away, if you don't find me a coach I like, what are the Bucks going to do? <laughs> like, oh, okay, buddy, like, we're just going to roll with somebody else. Like, no, they're going to be like, okay, Todd Bowles, see you later. All right, Tom, who do you want? That's probably the only way he actually does get fired. The difference between Arians and Bowles has been dramatic, noticeable and dramatic and Todd Bowles does he's not a head coach to me. He's he's a great coordinator, phenomenal coordinator, but he just hasn't done it as a head coach in any of his opportunities. And you can say the same for Dennis Allen. He was kind of a highly lauded defensive coordinator building up into this second head coaching tenure now. And it was so noticeable for Todd Bowles, by the way, that either Joe Buck or Troy Aikman, I can't remember which, was talking about it on the broadcast that they this team misses Bruce Arians. He's up in the booth somewhere. It doesn't mean shit as a front office exec. You need that personality. You need that fire on the sideline. But the last thing on this game, and then we'll get going into our week 14 preview in our 911 rapid fire. We are talking about these coaches, and you hate talking about them in this sense, but Dennis Allen and Todd Bowles truly were trying to almost one up themselves on decisions that were going to get them scolded in the media. Dennis Allen, let's start there. Multiple fourth down and goals or basically goal to go where it's fourth and two at the three. And they're not going for it. They're settling for field goals when they could have put the game away. You also see a player in Mark Ingram go out of bounds on third and one where nobody was there. He could have got a first down. The ball game's over. That's on Dennis Allen. Flip it to Todd Bowles, obviously. They punt the ball with seven minutes left when Tom Brady is visibly pissed off on the field saying we're going for this and he gets bailed out because of two late touchdown drives 
When in reality, the smart move is probably trusting Tom Brady with one play there. You know the game's on the line, but guess what? You punt the ball, you might not see it again anyways. I'm just frustrated because we talk about coaches being really poor in clock management. It goes well beyond that, David. I still, to this day, there's, I still have a, I don't know how to say this. I'm shocked that there aren't clock coordinators almost on the sidelines at this point, because almost, I I think there's only three coaches in the NFL that actually manage their, their time. Well, maybe four, maybe five at best, or manage their even decision-making late game. Well, I guess I'm just kind of shocked. There aren't, there aren't, there isn't a, a bigger focus on that. These two coaches trying to one up uh, how bad they are. It's just another day in the life of of New Orleans, Tampa Bay for me. I, I'm just like sick of both of these teams this season. I got to be honest. I know I'm. I'm it's one of those divisions. It's just, yeah, it's just brutal. It's just bad football being played this year in that division. And I, you and I have talked about this before. It's just already a division for me that doesn't do it because we're AFC guys to begin with. We're not from the Southeast. The teams have mostly been irrelevant in our lifetimes. So it kind of just is a division that gets forgotten about. And if it wasn't for Tom Brady being there, I don't know if we're even talking about this division. It's just, all right, we'll get to it at the end of January when we have to talk about that first round matchup. But let's go on now into our 9-1-1 rapid fire. Speaking of the NFC South, this week the Carolina Panthers waived Baker Mayfield and he is claimed by the Los Angeles Rams, the only team that did put a claim in on him. Do you believe that this is a Band-Aid, or do you think that the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay have plans for Baker Mayfield? Both. So uh, this is clear Band-Aid. Uh, first of all, their their third stringer who nobody, half the NFL hadn't even heard of until he started playing. I think he's hurt, isn't he? Like there's a real chance that Baker actually plays this week. They believe uh, that there's a real chance that he plays tonight. John Wolford will be out for warm-ups, and if he's not good to go, Baker Mayfield is 48 hours ago from a Panther playing with the Rams. Yeah, so that's shocking in its own right. But, like, it's it's a desperation move. It's the best quarterback they're going to find, you know, as shocking as it is to say because Baker has been arguably the worst starter in the NFL, if not the worst starter in the NFL all year. It's the best quarterback they're going to find on short notice. But I do think there's probably a, a secondary plan. And and I'm sorry I'm extending this out on rapid fire section. But I do think there there's a story that came out that McVay loved to pick Baker's mind on Lincoln Riley's offense. Part of me thinks McVay, who is a little bit of an analytics guy himself, part of me thinks that that maybe he thinks he can revive Baker and and – if Stafford retires, which he probably should after this spinal cord contusion, this is the quick solution to get back to like golf era level of play at quarterback. But that's all I got. If it was going to happen for Baker to have a real shot at a career resurgence, I love it there. And without the draft picks, without the money, the talent won't be there, but that'll at least carve out an extended tryout for him with the Rams. And I really hope it works out for him. Dan Snyder today had Congress come out and say that he permitted and participated in a toxic work environment. It makes seeing the commanders do well this year, even sweeter, David, the witch is almost dead. 
I can't. Well, I just hope I hope Dan Snyder is removed from the NFL. We talked about it weeks ago, but fuck Dan Snyder. That's all I got to say. And oh, by the way, the fact that he basically admitted that, you know, he's responsible for ending John Gruden's career even more so. I know John Gruden was wrong regardless, but fuck Dan Snyder. Like, was that because of Jay Gruden? Do you think like what was the point of that? I still don't understand it. To to think because he thought it would just you know he'd sweep his own reputation onto the rug while Gruden was getting pinned to the wall, but whatever. In better news and happier news, rookie quarterback Desmond Ritter will be the starter for Atlanta after the bye, and then faces two straight road games against good teams in New Orleans and Baltimore. I gotta be honest, I said it a couple weeks ago. I didn't think this was gonna happen, and you predicted this right on the fucking nose, Wally. Well, I got lucky because what it, it turned into is you needed the Falcons to lose to the Steelers and you needed the Bucks to win these games. If they don't come back from a 13-point deficit on Monday night, we're not talking about Desmond Ritter, I think. I think we still trot out Marcus Mariota. And the big thing is Mariota's on a one-year deal. Desmond Ritter, he's on that rookie contract. It makes all the sense in the world to play him now. Figure out what you got. If he's not the guy, go draft one. The Titans fired longtime GM. John Robinson this week after an ugly loss to the Eagles. And I wonder who's on that Eagles team. A.J. Brown and his two touchdowns stretches that losing streak to three games. And it felt a little weird. A lot of people in the Titans organization didn't see it coming. It makes you almost feel like this really all started. The boiling point really tipped when A.J. Brown got traded on draft day. Well, imagine how much better the Titans would be with A.J. Brown offensively they'd be able to move like Tannehill looked a clear cut level above what he's been playing when AJ Brown was in the offense and he's still good enough he's still like your average starter but he's not who we saw last year as a, a an efficient quarterback because he doesn't have a receiver to throw to yeah and they have no wide receivers to throw to you can understand my why Mike Vrabel is upset but this week's Monday night football recap in our 911 rapid fire was brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding, high-end photography, fashion, and more, especially if you are around our age where there's college graduations, engagements, weddings, baby pictures, you name it. Feels like they're happening every single weekend. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself at abbyturnerphoto.com. That's Abby, A-B-B-E-Y, or on our Instagram page at Saw Dad and Sapphire. Again. AbbyTurnerPhoto.com. What the hell's going on out here? Now, David, last week I told you guys I was a loser. I did not have our gambling set up. I went back and I put the last few weeks all together so we have an updated idea of where we are. So going in uh, the last three weeks, I I gotta give it to you, David. You took it to Steven and I. You went 28 and 13. You were up 5.8 units. Steven went 20 and 21. He was down about 2.7. And I went 21 and 18, down about four tenths of a unit. So you're making a push here later in the season to catch up to Steven. I am putting on my best Houston Texans impression, and I am playing for my first overall betting pick, whatever that could be. Buddy, let's not let's let's not forget that I this wouldn't have happened without a near perfect week for me last week. And that is the only reason I'm still down 13 units on the year after being up nearly six in the last three weeks. Kill me. You and I have both had our three worst weeks 
have all been seven plus down. And when you're doing that, it just there's just no way to come back. It's like the old school college BCS system. When you got blown out by 30, the computers hated you, and we aren't catching up. And it's simply kind of that vibe. Yeah. But anyways, our bye weeks this week, we have the 5-8 and eight Falcons, the 3-10 and 10 Bears, the 5-8 and eight Packers, the 4-8 and 1 Colts, the 4-8 and eight Saints, and the mighty 7-5 and 1 Commanders. reason I read those records out, this almost in a weird way, is making for a great Sunday with all these terrible teams and all the peace and love, Steven, all these terrible teams not playing. It makes for a great slate. So, David, let's get right into it with the Thursday night football slate. This is not one of those good ones we're talking about. The Las Vegas Raiders are six-and-a-half-point favorites going to Los Angeles, where I should always, as always, I'll start off with SoFi. It's a fake home game, but the Raiders own L.A. This is going to be a crazy environment. I feel bad for whether it be John Wolford or Baker Mayfield having to step into this. It's going to feel like a road game. Total is 42 and a half. I want to just get my pick out of the way. I'm going to actually go with the Raiders minus six and a half. I've gone back and forth on this pick for the last 48 hours. I'm going to take their money line in the over 42 and a half as well. The reason being is that this pass rush is playing. At its highest level of the season, Chandler Jones had more quarterback pressures in the last two weeks than he had in the entire season leading up to that. When he's doing that with Max Crosby, this is the kind of defense that the Raiders thought they could have. It covers up those holes in the secondary, and they're plentiful. The the linebackers don't have to be as good. Denzel Perryman, he's more of a guy that plays in a run game anyways. I just feel like this is the kind of game that you have to blow the doors off the Rams team that wants to quit on the year. You have to win big. Prove that you're more than what your records say. Prove that there's reason to believe that you can be playing an 18th football game. If you can't do it, I've got big concerns. With that being said, pray for Jalen Ramsey. Devontae's going to have a night. Oi, brother. After hearing, I was so sold on Las Vegas money line Rams plus six and a half, but I keep teetering back and forth because one, Aaron Donald's out, and two, Baker Mayfield might play on an offensive playbook he knows absolutely nothing about. And if that happens, there is no way the Raiders don't cover that spread. But, you know, Steven, Steven's got here, for everyone out there, Steven's got a little note here. He's taking Rams plus six and a half, under 43 and a half. He's got Derek Carr. He's one seven and one as a favorite of three plus, three plus points on the road. That is astonishing in its own right. I do not know what to do about this line, and I, I was going to take Rams plus six and a half, but I'm not confident that Baker's not going to play right now. So what I'm just going to do is it's Raiders money line. The Raiders are riding high six and a half feels it feels like a lot because the Rams just compete competed with Seattle, who I think is is a fairly similar team to Las Vegas in terms of bad defense, great offense. Raiders win. Potentially the Raiders defense keeps the Rams in it. But if Baker Mayfield's playing on a on a playbook, he knows nothing about. I am very, very deeply concerned about the Rams' chances of keeping it close. But if they do and that happens, I'm very deeply concerned about your mental health. So I'm just – we're going Raiders' money line and we're rocking it. 
here's the thing. In a weird way, it would almost be the nicest thing the Raiders have done to me all year if they just go out and lose to the Rams tonight. Because then at least I can stop with this like dream in my head. Because you know how I am as a person. You guys have been very polite about it, and I appreciate it, where I'm trying so hard to disenfranchise my beliefs this year or my hopes. But you guys know it's in there. It's in my brain. I'm, it's festering. I'm really wanting to believe I just aren't, am not there yet. So let's ride. Let's hope that those Raiders do get it done. But we'll see. Minnesota goes to Detroit. And this is a shock. The Vikings are one and a half point dogs against the Motown Lions. Total is 51 and a half. David, let's start there. I think a lot of people that don't pay attention to spreads would be shocked to hear that the Vikings are the underdog in this game. What did you make of that? Do you think that's a good move? Do you do you think that Vegas might be on to something here? I think Vegas is riding the Lions winning streak. This is another the Lions this week. This is a week I said it like I don't know, week three, where all the lines just really made me uncomfortable. This is like one of those weeks. I'm taking Minnesota plus one and a half, and I'm the captain of the Detroit Lions hype train right now. However, I said it last week, Minnesota beat the Jets. They started to prove to me that maybe this isn't like the bogus team that I think they are, but this is another prove-it game for me for Minnesota. I, I think Minnesota wins this despite how high I am on the Lions right now, but you know what's making me nervous is... Minnesota's secondary is injured. Uh, wasn't great to begin with. The Lions' passing attack has been been unbelievable the last couple of weeks on this winning streak. Jamison Williams is now in the fold. I ha- I don't is he playing this week? Is he getting his first reps this week, or is it just he practice? He played last week, but he was very limited. So we'll see right. how many more snaps he gets. So he's in the fold. Detroit ranks eighth in expected points added per drop back to the Vikings 18th, you return, there's a potential return of, of an edge rusher in, in Romeo Aquara, which is again, a boost for Detroit. And I'm talking myself into Detroit here, but I said it last week. It's another prove it game this week for the Vikings. They're just a good team. Even if I don't believe that they're a real contender, it feels like a trap that Detroit's a favorite. So I'm taking Minnesota plus one and a half. And if Detroit wins, Buddy, I won't get bet against them the rest of the season, but I just think Minnesota's too good of a team to not be the favorite here. Now you're making me worried, but all right, you brought up last week or the week before adjusted DVOA, and that's a big stat you like, and more or less, it's taking a smaller sample size of how the team is playing lately. I'm taking almost a macro approach to that where – if you look at the last five games these teams have played, the Lions are the better team than Minnesota. Minnesota is winning all these one-possession games. Last week, we brought up 9-0 and in one-possession games. Detroit is very similar, but in the opposite way. I've also got Lion fever, David. If you are the captain of the Detroit Lions hype train, I don't know what a train's first mate is called, but that's where I'm at with you. And I really think it's, this is the Wizard of Oz podcast at this point because I'm in love with the Lions, the Tigers, and the Bears' future in the NFL right now. 
The Lions are five and seven. Not great, right? But let's look at those seven losses for a second. Let's look a little closer. Three-point loss to Philadelphia, who is very, they're an NFC favorite, to put it simply. A four-point loss to this Minnesota team in Minnesota, and it was a game that Detroit felt like they probably should have won. Three-point loss against Seattle. It didn't look great at the time, but Seattle, all of a sudden, were like, wow, they're a lot better than we thought they were. They got folded like a lawn chair at New England. You throw that one out. That's just a weird game. But they lose a close game to Dallas that Dallas scored a couple late touchdowns make it look not that close. Four-point loss to Miami. Three-point loss to Buffalo. Another game they probably felt like they should win. That is a bunch of playoff teams. Not only playoff teams, Super Bowl contenders. And they are putting pushing these teams for 60 minutes. This team is so close to their arrival. There's no reason to believe that this team can't get themselves into the playoffs. They have an easy stretch down the stretch, or they have an easy schedule down the stretch. If they win Sunday, it's time to start talking about it. We won't give you Steven's pick on this one because he's had Minnesota plus two and a half before the line changed, and his reasoning made it so it's impossible to give it to him. He had, I like Detroit winning the game, but I see it as a 23-21 type outcome. First of all, that's crazy that he's betting on that with that logic, but hey, we'll move on. It's fine. The New York Jets go to Buffalo, where the Bills look to get revenge from an early season loss to the Jets. Total is 43 and a half. Bills did get some real unfortunate news this week. Vaughn Miller is out for the season with a torn ACL when they were in there trying to fix up what I, I want that arthroscopic knee surgery, however they say it. And they saw that the ACL was torn while they were doing that. It is the same knee he tore the ACL in in 2013. So hopefully Von Miller is back in soon and at a high level. But David, I want to throw it to you first. We'll get your pick. But we I also want you to read a tweet that you shared with Steve and I early in the week. I think it's pretty telling. So let's go to you now. All right. So Ryan McChrystal, who's dives deep into analytics, and I really like following him on Twitter. If you don't, you should follow him. Uh, he said in a one-score game, the Bills' pressure rate this season with Von Miller on the field is 39%. Without Von Miller on the field, 22%. Their blitz rate with Von Miller, 18%. Without Von Miller, 28%. So as Steven pointed out in that text message after we, we talked about, or after I sent it, I mean, Von Miller is kind of responsible for their ability to get to the quarterback without needing to blitz, which, you know, those insane rates we were seeing earlier in the season is kind of like a direct, you know, correlation to him. It's a huge loss, but I'm not totally out on the bills. I'm still just I'm still waiting for Josh Allen to get back to elite form, because if he does that, they're still my second favorite in the AFC. I just. You know, Von Miller's a huge loss loss on the defense. That's that's a massive loss. But they were without Von Miller previously, and they were still a great defense. So if they can get Tredavious White back and healthy, that might counter some of the hurt. But they're definitely hurting on defense right now. You're absolutely right. and But I, it's weird because when he was with Denver a few years ago, there was about – 
a 12 month stretch where he wasn't the Vaughn Miller we were accustomed to anymore. And we were worried that he was losing it. Then they trade him to LA and he is almost the sole reason why he, they won that Super Bowl in that Super Bowl run. He then goes to Buffalo and he's playing some of the best football of his career again. Even though the stats might not be as sexy as you'd see with other teams, they don't have to be because of how dominant the defense was because of how much time of possession the offense was having because of how good the defense was. This is a big loss. And I know you and I are a little at odds because I'm not ready to say Buffalo's not a Super Bowl threat, but I think they took a heavy step back from this. And because of, I'm actually going with the Jets plus 10, Stephen is as well, but I just, I'm really, first of all, thankful it got to 10. It was nine and a half early this week. That extra half a point was really nice. And the, to me, it makes me, it feels like a little bit more of a security blanket. But the Bills are on my shit list right now. Since we saw that game that we dubbed the AFC Championship preview against Kansas City at Arrowhead earlier in the year, they really haven't looked like world beaters we're used to. And it's because Josh Allen is not the elite quarterback that we were really getting used to seeing. But in that same period of time, the New York Jets went to Mike White. The defense is balling out. And you can really feel the excitement in that city and this fan base and this team that we haven't seen since Rex Ryan. And I think that if I had more balls, David, and I don't, I'm a coward. If I had more, don't be surprised if the New York Jets go up to Buffalo and get a win this week. I wouldn't be shocked at all. After seeing the spread go to 10, I told myself I'd never do this. I really thought I would never do this again. But seeing Von Miller out, seeing the stats, knowing Josh Allen still hasn't given us anything to be confident in consistently for like five weeks now, I'm with you. New York Jets plus 10. I'm not even going to take Bill's money line. I'm just taking New York Jets plus 10. That feels right. Feels right. It's just weird. Like, until we see the, the Bills are still in there, but until we see the Bills become the Bills again, there's reason to be suspicious. I think that's fair. Baltimore is at the artist formerly known as Heinz Field this weekend, the face of Pittsburgh Steelers, who are actually one and a half point favorites in this game with an absurd total of 36 and a half. Ronnie Stanley is likely going to be back, which is a huge get for them. Patrick Queen avoided catastrophic injury, also huge. But it sounds like Lamar Jackson won't play in this game, which means we get another dose of Tyler Huntley. I rode the Steelers last week. I think you guys at home are probably getting a feel for it. I like the Steelers team right now. Mike Tomlin has them playing Mike Tomlin football, and they're just giving you a little hope on the offensive side of the football for the first time in forever. I think Baltimore's linebackers will be a good test for this offense, but I'm taking the Stillers minus two and a half. I think they get it done, and I think they're going to do or give a huge favor to the other AFC teams that are flirting with that playoff spot. I am going the exact opposite direction. Baltimore plus one and a half. And I'm taking the over of 36 and a half. That is a shocking low number, especially considering the Steelers dropped 19. Like you're you're basically saying this game is going to end 1916 like it did last week 
for Atlanta Steelers. Here's the thing. Even with the backup, they're a better team in the rivalry. The Ravens will be without Lamar Jackson, but Tyler Huntley, who has earned a 62 PFF grade while filling in for Lamar in the last two years, he that might seem low, but that makes him the best backup in football. Honestly, when he came in, every time he's been in, he plays outstanding to the point last year at some points, people were talking about whether this guy could be traded and become a starter in the NFL. I'm I'm not feeling the threat that you think the Steelers pose here. I don't think the team misses that far, like misses that much of a beat without Lamar Jackson. And historically they haven't, which makes it so much more exciting that he's going to have to get paid this offseason. But that's another story. Steelers have played well as of late, but they're in no position to blow out a playoff team. I know the spread's only one and a half now. It was like three and a half when I said that. I'm just, I'm still on the Baltimore train. Baltimore plus one and a half over 36 and a half. I'm just not, I'm not counting Baltimore out. I, I don't think Pickett can throw deep, which is the only weakness Baltimore has in on their defense. I'm not feeling the Steelers in this one. Steven is riding with me with the Steelers minus two and a half. You do have me a little worried though, because it is right to talk about Tyler Huntley because he is a very similar quarterback, maybe not in play style, but like the ability to lead an offense as Jacoby Brissett, where he's that high end backup where it's not John Wolford. It's not the guy that you're going to see come in the Kyle Allen's of the world. This guy can come in and lead an offense. I'm just trusting that the Steelers defense is going to be able to do enough and that Kenny Pickett is going to continue to grow that last drive against Denver, though, Tyler Huntley leading down the field, it, it, it scares me a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you, David. Let's stay in the Keystone State, though, kind of, at least with one of their teams going to MetLife. The Philadelphia Eagles are six-and-a-half-point road favorites, and the total is 45-and-a-half. The last time all three of us were on the Philadelphia minus six-and-a-half train, they tried their best to lose to Jeff Saturday. I need you and I to talk this through. I'll decide how much I like Philly in a minute. I will say Wawa being introduced to the Midwest really ruined my week. Thanks a lot, Jack Hoopler, for doing that. If it wasn't for those scumbag New Yorkers also having Wawa, I'd pick the G-men outright. But they do. So let's that's gone. That's no longer a piece of the equation. Should I be nervous about taking Philadelphia minus six and a half? We see Saquon at least got added to the injury report today with the neck injury. We don't know how serious that is yet. But, like, the G-men are playing bad football. I should bet with the better Eagles, right? This is, again, another tough line. NFC East rivalry. These games never go how they're expected to go, no matter how good or bad or fucking atrocious the division is. It's a weird spread for me for an NFC East rivalry. I'm just taking Philly money line. Six and a half seems pretty large for me. I just know Philly's going to win. Another thing to keep an eye on here is Saquon Barkley. And I don't mean the injury. I mean, if I saw the stat correctly yesterday, he's 10 touches away from his career high in touches for a season. And we're in week 14. If you really want to break that down, I could argue you've seen 
him lose significant steam over the last three weeks. You have to wonder if that's touch related, knowing that he's going to hit his touches three weeks faster than his previous career high. Oh, by the way, we have an extra week of football now. I don't know, man. It's like that's that's really concerning for a guy who's like the entire offense. It's very concerning. And to your point earlier in that, he's not looked the same in the last month. We talked about that 35-touch game and how we were worried about it because he is a guy with a lot of injury history. And then now he's 10 touches away from a career high. That's, that is scary. I, I think it's funny. It is funny that this is not the Sunday night football game after we've been force-fed Philadelphia, New York, or Philadelphia, Dallas for the last 20 years, that they're both actually good now. And this is just so happens to be the time we don't get them on Sunday night. You know, we'll get them for the next four or five now. You know it. I will, because of what you said, I'll go money line. You talked me off the, the six and a half wave. Steven isn't here to be talked off. So he's either going to get us a little bit on points or units there. Or who knows? Maybe maybe the Eagles win by four, and we're both celebrating. We're happy that you talked me off. But let's go into your boys now. The Battle of Ohio, the Cleveland Browns, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals are five-and-a-half-point favorites. Total is 46-and-a-half. I'm going to throw it to you right away. Let's hear what your thoughts are on this game and who you got. Cleveland plus six-and-a-half. I cannot believe that two weeks in a row – I'm riding with Raiders in in Cleveland. I cannot believe that I am on a high-speed train about to hit a 90-degree turn. Whatever. Hype train hasn't derailed yet. Browns are undefeated against Burrow. Sure, everyone knows that'll end this week, but will it? Go Browns. I I got nothing else. The only thing that that makes me sad is that Taki Taki was having a phenomenal season for us now that he's out. It's just another depressing note on our defense. I think, and and this might be way off. This might be way off. I think part of the reason we're so good against Joe Burrow and the Bengals is because we are so good at playing quarters defense. You really have to beat us on the ground game to open up the pass game. I'm not scared of Joe Mixon. So here I am, hand up. Browns plus, oh, it's five and a half now. Browns plus five and a half. I'm riding the hype train into sadness, so. Well, I don't blame you. I'm doing the same with the Raiders, so I I really can't knock you for being a little on the Browns bandwagon right now. You mentioned Joe Mixon being back. If they're smart and they make that more of a split backfield with the way Samaj P. Ryan's playing, I think this is a huge get and adds a lot of depth that they didn't even know they had it running back. I'm going with Cincinnati minus six and a half in the money line, though. I am worried. You brought up a good point about the quarters defense because that does kind of play into or plays against the strength of Joe Burrow, which is a good thing, where he throws the ball downfield more than almost any player in in the NFL. He's got, I want to say, top three in yards per attempt in the air. But last week scared me off the Browns. Until Watson has fully shaken off the rust, it's going to be hard for me to take them. Last week, I don't think they scored, but what, six offensive points, somewhere right around that neighborhood against a bad Texans team. It was just low throw after low throw. 
And I get that there is history between these teams. Joe Burrow is 0-4 against the Browns. But it's not like he's been brutal in those games. I, I was doing a deep dive earlier because I wanted to see what it was like in those. He's over 70% completion percentage in his last three. So the only one he wasn't was in that first one where it was that crazy night game where he threw like 60 passes. And he was still at like 60-some-odd percent in that game. They've just gotten beat. And that's my point. And I, two of those losses were even in the rookie year. And now, and then they were so bad in that rookie year. I feel like people forget because Joe Burrow is so good now. They had a top five pick. That's the one that got Jamar Chase. So the Bengals are playing their best football all year, arguably their best football they've ever had with Joe Burrow, and I'm including that playoff run right now. It's been elite football. And I think that this is the weekend he finally gets the skeleton out of the closet in a big way. But naturally, Steven is with you. He was with the Browns the last time the Bengals played in Cleveland and the Browns got it done. So good luck to you. It'll definitely be a, a fun game to watch. It's probably one of the games I'm more excited about on the, the early slate. Any last thoughts on that game? No, just if I come back on next week, sad as fuck, we, we all know why. Yes, we will. I think there's uh, there's definitely a real-world shot that you and I both do. We We know ourselves better than this. But Jacksonville, going to Tennessee, three-and-a-half-point home favorites. Total is 41-and-a-half. The Jaguars are not sure if they'll have Trevor Lawrence for this one. He is questionable with a foot injury he got in that scary hit last week in that Lions game. And then your boy, again, Ryan McChrystal, had another tweet I'd love for you to share with us about the Titans in this one. Again, big, big Ryan McChrystal day. Over their last five games, the Titans have gone three and out on 40% of their 47% of their drives. The NFL's clear worst rate over that span. Seven of their first nine drives versus the Eagles were three and outs. Now, with that said, Wally, I'm going Tennessee money line because I still think Tennessee is a far and clear better team. The only thing that would make me change my mind is another one of those Stephen AFC South. Insane statistics like, you know, Jacksonville has won 95 straight times in, in Nashville type statistics. That's the only thing that could make me change my mind. The spread's a little weird. Don't like it. I know it's only three and a half, but Jags feel like they can cover. I just, I'm only confident that Tennessee is going to win this game and that's it. I originally wanted to take the Jaguars money line so bad. It was on here until about 20 minutes before we started recording. And I had a similar inkling where I'm like, I bet there's a weird thing going on with this rivalry in the AFC South because everyone has something weird. And the Titans have won like a billion straight again. So I was like, oh my God, this is great. You factor that in with Trevor Lawrence. Who knows if he's going to be available? I couldn't do it. So I do think Tennessee wins because history tells us that they will. I'm going to take the under instead of the money line because I am afraid of Trevor Lawrence. If he is able to play that this might be the team that can get over the hump and Tennessee is playing really bad football right now. I'm just hoping that Derrick Henry is stonewalled yet again. And this is a low scoring game in a way this division plays. I think that's very possible. Hey, speaking of bad football, Houston Texans going to Dallas. Oh my God. Dallas is a 17 and a half point favorite. Now is that real? Did that change? A yeah, it is real. Point? It is 17 and a half. It was 16 and a half for the people wondering why well, David's so crazy. It was 16 before that, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, it's, it keeps climbing. 
Oh, brother. I don't know if that affects anything. All right. So Houston at Dallas, 17 and a half point favorites for Dallas. Total set at 44 and a half. Davis Mills is back to being a starter again this weekend. Tyron Smith returned to practice this week. This is this is where I'm going to lose all of my unit gains this week. I can feel it. We had we had a really good run, folks. It's all come crashing down because I'm taking Houston plus 17 and a half. And I'm doing it because oh, for all the wrong reasons. For literally, it hurts me that I'm going to do this. 17 and a half feels outrageous. It feels outrageous. I just, it feels outrageous. It's as simple as that. Houston hasn't allowed more than 30 against Philly or Miami. I know Miami just stopped playing football at the half, but like if Dallas goes up 30 at the half, they're going to stop playing football. They're not, if Mike McCarthy is a fucking brain, they're not going to be, they're not going to be playing Pollard. They're probably going to be running Zeke into a fucking defense for, for an entire half. You'd be betting on Dallas to score 30-plus and hold Houston to two touchdowns or less. Oh, by the way, Houston's hit 14-plus points for their last five weeks, even though they're atrocious. So, like, this isn't – and they've played good teams. Like, this isn't this isn't Houston playing other Houstons. This is, like, they've put up two touchdowns against good teams in multiple weeks now. And now I'm betting on – if we're going like that, now I'm betting on Houston – or on Dallas to score – 30 what is that 32 plus points Dallas has blown the doors off of two teams recently but for some reason plus 17 and a half is calling my name because it just seems too large and I love Dallas I think Dallas is a contender their defense is elite yeah however that's, that's a lot of points that's a lot of points like to <laughs> bet on right like this could very well be a 17 point victory it's just a lot that's a lot to cover right so I just, it, for some reason, 17 and a half, I had 16 and a half I was feeling. So 17 and a half makes me even like slightly more confident, even though it really shouldn't, but it just makes me feel slightly more confident. No, and I don't think anybody at home is going to question you thinking Dallas is any good because you're taking Houston here. So don't worry about that because I'm, I mean, you can read my, my rundown here. I literally had one word as a description on this game and it was fuck. Because I literally was just like looking at it, trying, and I should tell you, Steven, he has the over. He's taking a 44 and a half, and he has an anytime touchdown scoring parlay of Tony Pollard and Zeke. Good luck to him. I'm not feeling that either. This is what worries me, David, because I th- everything you said is right. I have almost two schools of thought. I remember a game last year, the Chargers and the Texans. And Steven and I were like, dude, do we take 17 or whatever it was? Like, that's a lot. But the Chargers are so much better than the Texans. And what happened was the Chargers were up 38 to 8 in the fourth quarter and gave up two garbage time touchdowns to win the game 38-22 and the Texans get a backdoor cover. That feels like the same thing here. I just... I want so bad to have the goal to take Dallas minus 17 and a half because I've got a couple stats that are um, alarming. They had five yards in the first half two weeks ago. They had 32 in the following week. And then last week, they couldn't do anything against a Cleveland Browns defense that we fully acknowledge on this show is terrible. This is the 
best defense in football. If not, it's top three. I like there's a real world scenario that the Cowboys special teams in defense outscores Houston, but it's still 17 and a half. So, oh, David, I really wanted to be able to just come out and say Dallas minus 17 and a half. Do you have a final word word to push me one way or another? God, I know this is outrageous, but the only two teams they've allowed to score more than 30 points is the Raiders and the Chargers in 38 and 34. I know they're a bad team, but to your point, this just screams backdoor cover because we're really, you really truly are betting on Dallas to score 40 points if you're taking that spread. And I just, I, I'm big fan of Dallas, but I will never bet on a team to score 40 points. I'll never do it. It's like, that's, that's an outrageous number of points to score. Well, and every now and then too, and I know this is different because I'm talking about a Josh Allen led bills team, but this was before he was Josh Allen. We see spreads like this every now and then. And oddly enough, those are the games that you almost get worried about, like the win in general, where I want to say that there was the Buffalo Bills 16 and a half point dogs going to Minnesota in Josh Allen's rookie year. And the Bills just went up and beat them. So I know this is very different. This feels like a helpless Texans team right now. Here's a good one for you. I'm ready. They're two and one against the spread when they're 10 point plus underdogs. All right. You talked me into it. We're, we're riding Texans. And, plus oh, by the way, that was against the Broncos, which LOL. And of course the, it was. The, those were their two wins against the spread. And then they lost. They, they were 14 point underdogs against the Dolphins and lost by 15 points. So we're talking two of those three are elite teams, elite offenses who dropped 29 and 30 points on them. And they went one and one at 14 point underdogs. So I don't know, man, even if they're, even if they're facing elite defense, something just screams 17 and a half being too much. Last week, I said on Thursday show with you going into that Texans Browns game that no matter what, when the game was over, I was going to have that. I knew it. I should have done that or that. This is the same thing again. It's just who the Texans are where every week it's, Oh my God, part of my brain's like, of course they'll get blown out. And the other part of me is, but by 18 points. So I, I'm going to ride with you for better or worse. It's Texans plus 17 and a half. And we ride. And speaking of riding, Broncos country, let's ride. The Russell Wilson led Denver Broncos are hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs are nine and a half point favorites. The total is. Set it 43 and a half. I'll make this as easy as I can. Steven has Denver plus nine and a half and the under of 43 and a half. He's an idiot. Kansas City minus nine and a half. The money line. Get right game. And I talked about the helpless Texans. The Broncos are not any better. The defense is still putting up the big numbers. They're, they're really standing strong. But they don't have the teeth without Chubb. And you've been able to feel it at times when they need a stop. They haven't been able to get it. The Chiefs are going to score, and they're going to score in bunches. Why? Because Russell Wilson plays for the other team. This isn't the Tyler Huntley-led Ravens. 
You have to shorten the game to have a shot. With this game going 10 or 11 drives for both teams, which typically you're between 8 and 11, you could see a three-possession game or worse. If they can make it an eight- or nine-possession game for both teams, then maybe the spread's in play. But that's not going to happen. You have to move the ball to keep Kansas City's offense off the field from getting momentum, and that's not going to happen. I think you're going to get a big game from Travis Kelsey, a big game from Patrick Mahomes, and yet again, the Kansas City Chiefs beat a division opponent. Oh, brother, I'm in pain. I'm in pain because I decided to look at the record of spreads for both these teams. I, I'm scared. Can you can you tell us what these records are? Now you have me worried. The Chiefs have only covered four times all season. Woof. I am concerned. I know they didn't cover against the Chargers in the second game, the, the Raiders in the first game. I don't know if they covered against the Chargers the first time around. There's a chance they haven't covered a division game this they year. They didn't cover the Chargers twice. They didn't cover... They covered, or no, they didn't cover the Raiders. They didn't cover the Bills, the Colts. They covered the Cardinals the first week of the season. They covered Jacksonville. They covered the 49ers. And that's it. Oh, they covered against Tampa Bay. All right. This team's all over. I don't know if I'm feeling nine right now. I made a mistake. Why did I look at this? Can I at least spin zone those numbers you just said for you? to help talk you into KC minus nine and a half. Look at the teams that they covered against. A Tampa Bay team, similar to Denver, where they had these lofty expectations and they haven't lived up because the offense hasn't lived up to expectations. You brought up San Francisco, where let's just face it. I mean, that's just a weird matchup to begin with. But the other two games, Arizona, terrible. The Jaguars, when they played them, terrible. They beat bad teams. That's what this. That's what good teams do. Is they beat bad teams and they beat them badly. They held the Chargers to nineteen. The Denver Broncos held the Chargers to nineteen points. The Bronco or the uh, Broncos. The Chargers are frauds. I know, but the Chargers still scored a boatload against the Chiefs. Oh, I'm. Why did I look at this shit? What a mistake. Anyways, um, <laughs> to move the podcast along. Now that I have looked at the spreads and I desperately am considering betting on Denver, which makes me want to throw up inside, not going to do it. Kansas City money line. I don't like how large that spread is. Kansas City's bouncing back. They're going to dominate. Still not taking the spread in Kansas City's favor. But the Chiefs have the best expected points added per play figure in the NFL, and it is not even close. They average 0.145 EPA per play. The second best team is the Eagles, who average 0.87. Or I have that right? Yeah, 0.87. Might be 0.087. I might have those wrong. Anyways, 0.87 EPA per play. The difference between the Chiefs and the Eagles is the same as between the Eagles and the eighth place team in the Seahawks. I have here even Denver's defense isn't keeping this one close. That's probably true but I'm scared to bet the spread. So we're sending it with that. I'm not looking at betting 
statistics and records anymore because that just really skewed my belief in betting. Wally, take it away. I will. I did again. It's it's a really kind of weird game. I just you can't bet on Denver. You can't bet on Russell Wilson right now. To your credit, to the people at home for gambling purposes, this is where David has been so intelligent since he's come on to the podcast that I haven't been doing. And I think I'm going to slowly start trying to his little strategy out a little bit. Notice that I picked Kansas City money line on top of the spread as well. Even though that's not going to pay much, if you're betting, let's just give it a round number of 10. If you're betting 10 bucks on a money line from the Chiefs there, you're going to win two or three dollars. And it feels in your head that it's not worth it. But ask yourself the actual odds of the Broncos winning this game. They're not going to win this game. Therefore, it is free money. You take the free money when given to you. And that's why I'm doing the same. At the very least, it gives you a security blanket if the minus nine and a half doesn't hit. But let's go into the next game. Probably won't spend a lot on this one. It's kind of a weird and kind of a, a just gross looking game, I, I guess you would say. Carolina going to Seattle, four point favorites, totals 44 and a half. And I know that's almost unfair because the Seahawks are seven and five and at times can be really fun. They play exciting games. But the defense is not good. And when you flip to the Carolina, they're going to be trotting out Sam Darnold yet again. And we have to believe that something's going to change there. So I'm going to take Seattle minus four and a half or minus four, excuse me. But I'm not going to lie to you. I'm scared a little bit. I know I was on here talking about how happy I was that Gina was able to take the team down the field and score. I know that the Rams were playing for Bobby Wagner and they were really good for their standards at least. But there's no excuse. You can't let that train wreck compete with you. And the train wreck was two minutes away from winning the game. I'm putting the world on notice. If the Seahawks lose this game, I think we go to DEFCON 2, folks. And you don't want to see it get to DEFCON 1. And that is not too far away either. Do you have faith in this defense enough to get a win and cover against Carolina? Steven thinks Carolina covers in the overheads. Weird line. Again, again, this is the theme of the week. Weird lines I don't like. There's not, like, I, you can't lean me one way or the other. So, again, I'm taking Seattle money line only because I'm confident they'll win. What I'm not confident in is by how much. They could, I mean, they let, they haven't been a world beater lately, and they let a depleted roster compete with them. I'm... I think Carolina could keep it within three, but they could also get the doors blown off of them. I'm just all I'm confident in is Seattle winning the game. And so Seattle money line is all I'm taking. Smart man. Tampa Bay is rolling into San Francisco where the 49ers are three and a half point favorites. And the total is set at 37 and a half. The 49ers came out this week and said the ligament damage and Jimmy Garoppolo's foot could see him actually be able to return in seven to nine weeks since surgery is not required. That would put you right around the middle of the playoffs, right around that divisional, right around that conference championship Sunday. You would doubt that would ever happen if Brock Purdy's playing well. If you were getting there with Brock Purdy, you would imagine you roll with Brock Purdy. Josh Johnson is signed as the backup, though, this week. It's a weird game. Steven has Tampa Bay at plus three and a half. 
And I got to tell you, man, I really wanted to get cheeky and take Tampa Bay here too. But the more I marinated on it, the Niners are going to kill the Buccaneers. I, I understand there's a little fear and concern about Brock Purdy starting, especially his first start against this defense. But I trust Kyle Shanahan to take care of the kid with this game plan. It's not going to exactly take 40 points to beat this team. So I'm expecting a ton of CMC, a ton of Debo Samuel, whether those are runs, dump down screens, jet sweeps, whatever, make it easy on the kid. I think it's going to be a really low scoring game, but the 49ers are going to cover. They're going to win and the under is going to hit. I have it as 24 to 10. I know it said, I said, kill the Buccaneers, but you that's pretty close to killing the way Tampa Bay's offense is playing. Where are you at? Are you with Steven or are you with me? I'm with you. The 49ers just beat the best offense in the NFL, or one of them. I guess, you know, Chiefs are probably the best offense, but, you know. It's arguable. Think, They're right it's, there. It's arguably, arguable with Miami. Even with a third stringer at quarterback, I don't think the Bucs stand a chance. I don't think that offense does what I thought Miami was going to do to the 49ers. I mean, the Bucs don't even have a run game. I, I just, I don't. I don't know. I just don't I don't see a formula for Tampa Bay winning this game unless unless this is the only way that Tampa Bay wins this game is if Brock Purdy turns the ball over a lot. Two plus turnovers and it's Tampa Bay's game to lose. I just I, I I'm with you. I, I just San Francisco minus three and a half. It feels easy. It it honestly feels like it's a little too close. I I, I don't know why. It just feels like the 49ers have this in the bag. It's the fact that it feels so easy that makes me a little nervous. It's the only thing that I feel like is making me nervous because I don't even see – I feel like it's almost overly respectful of Tom Brady. That's it for me. But let's go to Sunday Night Football Miami. Three-and-a-half-point favorites coming off that loss to San Francisco, going to SoFi to play the Los Angeles Chargers. Total is 51 and a half. I have no idea on this game. I literally, it feels just like a trap again. Like that last one, the Chargers are playing so poorly, yet you know that Brandon Staley's job is likely on the line this season. You know their playoff lives are probably on the line in this game. It lends you to believe that you're going to get that cornered animal in the Chargers. I don't know what to do, man. I really am. I'm worried on this one. Uh, Steven has the fins minus three in the over of 51 and a half, but I, am I crazy? It just, it just feels like a trap. Like Miami's so much better, right? Let's talk about it. So let's start with last week, 49ers, Miami, the 49ers matched up perfectly with the dolphins. And if I spent the time to break it down further, I probably would have rolled with you on the 49ers last week. But San Francisco is the most successful team in the NFL at stopping throws over the middle. That is the crux of the Dolphins' offense this season, or at, at least the most of their production. What a great point. I love that. The result shouldn't have been surprising. And Tua had one of his worst games of the season, if not the worst. And they were only down six in the fourth quarter with a chance to tie or take the lead. Now, let's talk about the Chargers. And, and I took – the Raiders last week for this reason, or for these reasons, I should say. 
the Chargers point differential is worse than that of the Panthers and Falcons. For a team that was projected to be a playoff team, they have been a huge disappointment. Despite the money spent on the on the defense in the offseason, they are 27th in expected points added per play allowed. They cannot stop the run. They cannot stop the pass. They also rank top five in missed tackle rate and are now facing an offense with the two, I'd, pr- I'd probably say the two most explosive players in the NFL. The Chargers offensive line has been a weakness this year. They have no run game to lean on. The wide receivers have been hurt all year, so the statistics say that they struggle to generate separation. They just put up 13 offensive points on the Raiders, and that defense is currently dead last in the NFL. And, you know, that's not me criticizing the Raiders because the Browns are, like, second no, to last. No, uh, trust me, right? you're good. So, so like – I don't I don't know how this game doesn't end in a Dolphins blowout. And the only worrisome aspect, the only thing that makes you question the Chargers is sure all the things you said. But for me, it's Justin Herbert's a top seven, eight quarterback in the NFL who's fully capable of willing a win if everyone else shows up to do average work. I'm still taking Miami. Three and a half point favorites. I think they're. I think they're going to win by ten. I don't. I don't bet with the Chargers anymore because they're they're not the guy who we thought they were, and they never have been. They're always a massive disappointment. I'm tired of of believing in this team, but I'm not rolling with Stevens over fifty one and a half. That is a massive point. Like that's a massive total. Can every time I've bet on an over or under and it's been a five zero. I have lost. So I'm not touching that, but I do think Miami is going to win by four plus points. So I'm just rolling with Miami here. You talked me into it. Let's go. Dolphins minus three and a half. You got me on there too. Take us to Monday night football where new England shockingly to me is a one and a half point favorite at Arizona total set at 43 and a half buddy. I'm taking Arizona plus one and a half. The home team, home team underdog, and it feels like these teams are kind of like a level playing field almost, like, you know, mid-teams at best. I just – Cardinals finally have wide receivers – or they have their wide receivers and Hopkins and Brown on the field together. I mean, as good as New England's defense has been this season, they've shown the past two weeks that it's opposing quarterbacks were a significant influence on that success. The Patriots haven't proven that they can take advantage of the one weakness the Cardinals have, and that's a shaky secondary. Mac Jones has a 57.2 PFF passing grade on throws 10-plus yards beyond the line of scrimmage, which, oh, by the way, ranks 45th out of 50 qualifying quarterbacks. I am, I really like Arizona plus one and a half here. I just don't, I, I don't see New England as a favorite, as an away team. If we're playing in New England, one and a half point favorite makes a lot of sense for me. But at Arizona, I'm taking Arizona. Yeah, David agrees with you, too. He has the Arizona Cardinals plus one and a half in the money line. But I do want to make a comment here because I'm sure plenty of people at home are wondering the same way Steven is. He asked why the hell this game was not flexed out. As far as my understanding goes, the only game that can be flexed out is a Sunday night game because they can actually just flip the time of what other game they're flexing to, and that's when they go and play. 
I don't think they can do that with Monday night. To, so anybody at home, like, why are these Monday night games so bad? That's your answer. But to steal a phrase from you, fuck this game, man. This is, it's going to be the easiest editing game of all time for me. I'm going to literally finish Monday's episode. I'm going to have it in the background, and I'm going to look at the TV about four times. I'll relive the highlights later, and that'll be fine for me. I just feel bad for Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. You got to imagine that they're missing the Sundays at four at this rate. I agree with you that Arizona plus one and a half is the right move if I was going to bet it. But this is my, I think, game I'm going to abstain from this week. I just, I don't feel good about it either way. I don't want to watch it. And I, as everyone at home probably is aware by now, I am so over Arizona. I am so over Kyler Murray. And I'm so over this entire franchise. So get it out of here. I'm done with it. Which will lead us into our prop lock and drop it. Steve did not do one this week as he was busy driving up to Cleveland. So it's just you and me. I'll throw it to you before I wrap up with myself. What is your prop lock and drop it, David? All right, two prop bets, and I'm I'm continuing my streak of player prop bets. So Devontae Adams over. This is all based on last night. Uh, so if the, the lines change, I take it as you will. Devontae Adams over seven and a half receptions was at plus 111 last night. And the value and the trends are there. The Raiders are going to be a big game from him to win. And I think that's what they get even against Ramsey. And another good one for this game tonight is Van Jefferson under two and a half receptions, currently at plus 134, which means the value is there as well. And it's super, you know, that's not outrageous to say he's not going to catch three passes. My lock of the week is San Francisco, Tampa Bay. I think San Francisco is going to dominate the Bucs with that defense. My drop is Houston, Dallas. The line's insane. After saying Houston plus 17 and a half, I just know Dallas is going to win by 50. So drop it. God, wow. I've got a couple doubles just like you. But here, first of all, prop it. I'm going to break the rules, I think, a little bit. Instead of doing our traditional NFL prop, I had to throw this out there. The Army-Navy under, Service Academy unders are 43-9-1 since 2005. I think this game specifically has had the under hit in like 13 or 14 straight games. The under always hits in Army-Navy. They play the same offense. They're just going to line up and run it at each other 18,000 times, and they'll throw it four times in this game. The under is probably 29 and a half. It doesn't matter. You take the under in that game. The lock, I feel like an idiot because I think the San Francisco money line is probably the right move, David. When you talked about it, you kind of talked me into it. But I'm going to roll with my hometown team. I'm going to roll with the Steelers. I do think that this team gets it done. I think yet again they get it done. And it starts becoming real that Tomlin might be able to avoid a losing season for the first time of his career. The drop, like you, without a doubt, it's that Dallas minus 17 and a half. I'd put the Arizona game right there with it as I didn't even bet on it a second ago. But that is just a million points. And it's just so hard because anything can happen. Garbage time is going to be the whole fourth quarter. Just stay away from that game if you have any sense at all. But that will bring us to the end of another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Loss of Down, and our Twitter at Down underscore Loss. 
Remember, this episode was brought to you by Abby Turner Creative. David, do you have any parting words for us today? Go Raiders. Go Raiders is right. I don't know how you feel on this, but go Navy, beat Army. Family's all got a lot of Navy ties. You're nodding your head. You're on the right side of history. Finally going to get back in the win column against Army this weekend. I can feel it in my bones. Sing second, boys. Anchors away. <laughs>